this angry, biblically infused father take on this mentally challenged boy? <laughs> so what's great about that? Look what he did to that dog. <laughs> if you now wait a minute. Now you... Nick has Nick has pretty strong feelings about that particular scene. I do because I talked to an idiot. <laughs> Uh, Can we just say Terrence Howard's not a good actor? No, he's not. He's not even a fucking good person. The look on Tucson's face when we see Paul Dano's just blown up face after one of the torture scenes. Kiss me, I'm Irish. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the 2013 Denny Villeneuve film, which is Prisoners. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 156 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my two regular guys, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello, he's Denny again. Thank you for listening to Film Tank. It's racist. What? You made him sound Spanish for one thing. I was gonna say he sounded like a poo. <laughs> now know? we're all racist. I did not mean to do that. I was literally <laughs> just imitating his introduction to the Blade Runner twenty twenty two like anime because I just that's what I know him for now. That's what you know him for. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, the, that's like, the only time I've oh, heard him speak. Are you familiar with Denis Villeneuve? Oh my god, yes, he did the introduction to the anime. Yeah, that's just great. Also, uh, I was actually meaning to bring this up later, but I will definitely bring it up now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is the director that we have done the most episodes of yeah. anybody on. No, because I said that the last time we did one. Oh, did you? We did Sicario. And so now it's even more. So Sicario, uh, Arrival, we've literally Blade Runner, every, and this. Every English language film of his besides uh, Enemy. More yeah. than uh, Christopher Nolan? Because we didn't I mean, do separate you, episodes. If you include the Batman as ah, one. That's right. right. Because we did that, we did his very first film randomly. Uh, Ooh, Christopher, yeah. Oh yeah, following, following, yeah. And we did, we did not do Interstellar, so that's yeah. yeah. We did Inception, and we did Inter- and we did a uh, Dunkirk. So yeah. Dunkirk that's four, yeah. So it's like right so it's neck, tied. neck and neck. Yeah, I'm really surprised we've never done an episode of Memento. Me too. We'll uh, probably do that eventually. Maybe we did, but we forgot. Oh, I get it. Speaking of Guy Pierce, I rewatched L.A. Confidential for the first time in a long time. I I still enjoyed it. It's a good movie. It is a very entertaining noir film. I agree. Guy Pierce is good as uh, Peter Wayland, I think. Yes, he he, is. I think he is. I I think that he he makes... Nothing will ever be better than his promotional... With the Commercial. TED Talk? Yeah. Yeah, the TED Talk was pretty... That was a lot better than the movie itself. The the ending line of it saying, we are the gods now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. Especially when you watch the rest of the film. Yeah. And yeah. Alien Covenant, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That scene with him in the uh, little, the white room with uh, David, like yeah, that was that was cool. That was shoot in. I mean, it's still <laughs> cool though. Yeah, it was all right. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Guy, Guy Pierce though. Uh, anyway, I, mean, I know you didn't really like the rover, but Guy Pierce is just pretty wonderful at acting. I thought about that movie the other day. That's too bad because <laughs> I was like. Can't remember. Oh, I think it's a letterbox right now. They do a showdown every week where they ask oh, okay. anybody who is a letterbox user to submit lists with some kind of theme, and then they actually tally up the votes of you know what number one, two, three, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the showdown this week is um, Australian movies. Oh. Okay, and it's kind of up. Mad they, Max. They yeah, and they say it's up to the whoever you know the person making the list to define that however you want whether it's a movie set in Australia or it's a movie made so by So there's probably Australia. lots of Baz Luhrmann. Yes, there's all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. of course um uh David Michaud, uh okay. the director of Animal Kingdom and The Rover is showing up. And it was one of those things where I was like looking I was scanning lists to see where Animal Kingdom was like showing up on people's lists and mm-hmm. I was thankfully uh that it was showing up on certain lists and whatnot but then i was like what else has david michaud done and then i clicked i was like oh yes the rover and it's not even like that bad of a movie but man talk about a movie i personally like absolutely love and thought was like one of the greatest like arrivals of talent oh with ben Mendelssohn. well with him and david michaud just as a filmmaker yeah but obviously with ben Mendelssohn too to go from that to the rover just boy the rover the problem with that is it was a film that was really based on great performances but i didn't think guy pierce or robert Pattinson were that great in it no it, it what's weird is that i actually think i like robert Pattinson more than guy pierce which is weird because guy pierce doesn't have a like he doesn't have a hard job in that movie <laughs> i think i fell asleep halfway through the rover when that's we probably went to go fine see it. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Guy Pierce. if you look at his career, like, he has done a lot of good work. Yes. I mean, he was great on uh, the Mildred Pierce. Um, he is very good in that. Uh, um, Five-episode uh, series. Yep. Um, and, and you know, we've already mentioned a few other of his films Memento. already in this episode. Memento. and Even when he's in a smaller role, like in Animal Kingdom, when he mm-hmm. plays the FBI agent. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, in that movie, even though it's a smaller role, he's playing a very integral character in the main character's life. Uh, yeah, yeah. I... And even though some people have changed their mind on it, I think he plays a great villain in Iron Man 3, too. So, Oh, I'm, I'm very here for Iron Man 3 and, yeah. and him in there. So, yeah. yeah. So we're not talking about Guy Pierce though, on this episode, nope, believe not. it or not. We are talking about another Australian, Hugh Jackman, hey. and his film, which is Prisoners from 2013. Uh, that film... This film came out and was directed by Denis Villeneuve. And in all honesty, this was really his first mainstream American it was, film? I was going to say, it was, his, it was his first English language film. Yeah, and it was the, the first film he had released in, in the U.S. And his film Enemy also came out late that same year. But I know myself and Nick saw this in the theater randomly. And that's when we we were like first like starting to like just hang out and be started friends, kind of like each other a little bit. Yeah. Oh wait. Well. Oh. Yep. There it is. <laughs> we just touched tips. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, I so to witness that. So we saw this film, and I nope, recall uh, watching the trailer. First of all, this trailer is fantastic. If you've never seen this film, I even if you don't want to sit down and spend two hours and thirty three minutes watching it because it is quite a lengthy mm-hmm. film. 
the first trailer for this film is fucking awesome. The trailer so, was so good, I stopped 30 seconds into it to watch the actual film. I don't remember the trailer, so... It's pretty good. We'll watch it after the podcast. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. So, this film stars the aforementioned Hugh Jackman, along with Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis, Melissa Leo, Maria Bello, Teardrop, Terrence Howard. Boo. Also, Paul Dano, and... A dog. Yeah, sh- there's not that many other people in here, but yeah. but there's a lot of character actors that come in and out throughout the film that people probably recognize but wouldn't know their name. Yeah. And again, this is Denis Villeneuve's first film of the last... I mean, he's done multiple films. He's actually done a lot of work in the last five years. He's been putting in work. Enemy, Arrival, Sicario, he's uh, Blade Runner, and then now he's apparently going to be doing the Dune film. Yeah. Dune yeah. yeah. I don't so, know how he's going to get that fucking money. I mean... In all honesty, Denis Villeneuve has, has done pretty well. At the I was going to say, office. he's kind of got, I mean, like, he. I'm just saying, he's right now at the top of the list for anybody who is, for any studio that wants to dabble in hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean hard sci-fi in, like, true hard sci-fi, even right. though Dune will be. Right. Well, if it's done right, it will right, be. Right, right. Uh, but is what a studio would think of as hard sci-fi. Right. I, like, I, 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 Alex I, Garland has unfortunately proved to be a... Uh, Spotty. A liability. Uh, I'm not saying, like, quality, but just as far as drawing people he's in. He's not going to... Well, that and he's not delivering the crowd-pleasing right. sci-fi he got, that studios would He, want. he yeah. gave a really good um, first... I think it was his directorial debut. A really great directorial debut in Ex Machina. Oh, yeah. Um, I liked Annihilation. I... As, I want to see it again. Yeah, I bought it because I wanted to watch it again. Yeah. Right, yeah. I don't yeah. think that it's as strong as Ex Machina. In my opinion, um, it's him adapting somebody else's material. And, you know, there's always the contention of whether or not his adaptation was necessarily faithful, not verbatim to the to the actual text, because it's not. But, like, I've heard accusations that it's more of a simplification and more of a, a, a very dumbed-down version the of it. film isn't really, though. I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're either going to do a three-hour movie mm-hmm. where you try to get every detail and then lose any actual semblance of a through-line. You mean like an Andre Tarkovsky film? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what you're but describing. But you do it. Or, yeah. Yeah. or um, even though it's a film I like, something like Cloud Atlas that is just so all over yeah. the place. Yeah, that... where you're going to... Threaten to alienate anybody who's not on its wavelength like yeah, me yeah. because yep. I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, There's some parts of that. I, I like the film. It just has more of like a, a kind of a – It goes off on way too many tangents. I love I love that it just goes off the rails and it just owns what it is. It's just, yeah. it's just really weird. It's entertaining. Yeah. I mean there are like the part when Jim Sturgis randomly smashes a watermelon over somebody's head. Like I don't know why that happened. I can't even remember that. Oh, yeah. I was literally <laughs> – you said Cloud Atlas, <laughs> and the only thing I remembered about that movie was the watermelon. Yeah, you know, it was, like <laughs> was somebody, it Jim Sturgis somebody, or Jim Broadbent? Somebody said, somebody okay. said um, but Jim Broadbent Cloud Atlas. In the film. I know, but I, for whatever reason, thought it was his character. And I, and I thought of anyway. Tom Hanks giving like a Cockney accent. like, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, but he also plays a scientist and then an alien later in the film. And, then, and Hugo Weaving plays a woman. And he plays Rumpelstiltskin. And, yeah, and he plays, also plays an alien. Yeah, Boy, that movie is all over the place. <laughs> so listen to our episode. Yeah. Boy, we've gotten so far that we do have an episode on a lot of stuff, don't yeah. we? We do. Proud yeah. of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. well, let's talk about this. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll catch you guys next time. So, anyways, what I was going to mention really quickly when you were talking about uh, Alex Garland and yeah. Denis Villeneuve is that it's very interesting that Arrival, even though that isn't anybody's favorite sci-fi film, I feel like that was like him delivering a sci-fi film that found a way to be mainstream while at the same time stick to a lot of good sci-fi tropes that people who like sci-fi films would enjoy. I agree. I pretty much think that him and Christopher Nolan could duke it out for trying out heady concepts on unsuspecting audiences. And uh, aesthetically, I'm more in Valneuve's camp, even if I think Nolan is probably choosing slightly better scripts sometimes. Um, but, yeah, that's just a whole other conversation. Well, Denis Villeneuve works primarily with Deacons. So, yeah. I mean, it's not a bad person to be with, but it's kind well, of like cheating a little and bit. And here's the other thing, too. Uh, Nolan films, I apparently tend to dislike the more I think about it, whereas Villeneuve films, I tend to like more mm. uh, after my first viewing. So, mm. uh, And I, I'm not saying that goes for any in each of their films or anything like that, but that's been the, that's been them lately. So, I think Christopher Nolan, the further he's gone on, the less interesting his films have become. Yeah, and I I still enjoy almost every one of his movies, but that being said, I feel like Batman Begins and uh, The Prestige and Memento are probably as good as it's going to get. Yeah, that's and, fair. And I mean, The Dark Knight is just an overall great superhero film. But in terms of the actual filmmaking with him, I mean, it seems like it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah. But eh, I still enjoy Dunkirk. But we're not talking about that. Dunkirk? Anyway. We're talking about prisoners. Prisoners. So the story revolves around Keller Dober when his daughter and her friend go missing. He takes matters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts around all of them. So, I think I'll go first because I uh, I'm the one who brought this episode or this film to uh, the table as wanted to do an episode on it. Dragged it through the doggy door, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that looks good." Okay, I feel like you're talking down to this a little bit. No, I'm not. Right. I was this okay. First of all, this first statement, which I wanted to make uh, note of, um, this doesn't really say anything because this list I'm going to mention. Uh, is for the most part over the years been just completely turned into total meaningless dribble. Okay. But it still caught my attention when I found it, found this out earlier this week when looking up stuff for this film. Welcome to podcasting. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Uh, Prisoners, this film is on the IMDb Top 250, and I am surprised by that. Do you remember off the top of your head... What quadrant or so? To I mean, speak it's like. later, but it's like not on the end. It's like number two ten or something like okay. that. Okay. Oh wow. All right. I'm still I'm still surprised, even oh. knowing the the rating. You know who yeah. rates that? Yeah. Um, the idea that eighty five thousand people have rated this film and it is in the top two fifty surprised me a little bit. That is surprising. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, especially for a film so bleak. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also a film that didn't really have that much publicity. No. I mean, this came film, I think, came out in, like, late September, the year it came out. This was not an Oscar film. I think it got nominated for Best Cinematography because Roger Deakins is amazing. But 
Um, even so, this is not a summer blockbuster. This is not an Oscar film. This is something that really wouldn't catch a lot of people's eyes. So yeah. I was surprised about that. It's a very sad movie, but not the saddest movie we've reviewed. No, but yeah. I don't think it's trying to be either, which yeah. is, yeah. So anyways. Also, really quickly, if you say anything's the saddest movie, then that'll just challenge me to find something mm-hmm. worse. Well, no, that's why I didn't. So. I, We've watched Just much saying. sadder films I think than this. One of the saddest films that we've watched was the one where the guy got buried in the Pinewood box and Oh, the Vanishing. Ah, the Vanishing's That's pretty, a good movie. It's pretty Actually fun. this movie kinda reminds me of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder why. Uh... Yeah, the uh, I don't want to say it's the saddest film we ever watched, but I would say one of the most depressing films we've watched and reviewed was the David Thewlis film Naked. Ah! Love that movie. It is a good film, but that is a downer <laughs> oh, movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, but really quick, just to give you a sneak preview, sometime this year we are watching Lars von Trier's Dogville, okay. which is in my wow. top five favorite films of all time. Oh, uh, okay. And that is one of those movies where it is basically the most depressing movie ever made, but due to its gimmick... It is also from an interestingly detached point of view that makes it extremely palatable. So uh, we'll, that's not usually, we'll get into that. That's not usually the kind of word I use to describe Lars von Trier. No, that's extremely why extremely palatable. Yeah, that's, well, that's you'll see what I mean. But yeah. basically, in case you don't know, because it's not a spoiler, but mm-hmm. Dogville is essentially filmed on a soundstage in which there is no real set. There's a chalk outline uh, for the set, uh, and the actors are in costume, yes, but you are never not seeing the fact that they are in a warehouse acting out this narrative. Dogville was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Pretty much. It is the reason why I like it, because I just want things set in one room, and yeah. I just want to get down to brass tacks, yeah. no. and that's what this movie does, um, and it's incredibly depressing. Was it a film that was going kind of like Birdman for the one take thing? Or no, 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 not no? one take. Okay. Um, but okay. certainly, it is like Birdman in the sense that it is making you aware of its theatricality. Okay. Um, for example, if a character goes into their house, they mind that they're opening the door, oh. and then a sound effect is happening at the same oh. time. Oh, so it's got this weird cognitive dissonance. I'm interested now. Yeah, so for sure. Anyway, okay. that's the most depressing movie you guys will probably ever watch, or at least I'll ever make you watch. Okay. Can't wait. Well, thanks for the uh, the upper. Here we go. Getting back to a slightly less depressing film. Uh, so, Prisoners, uh, we saw this, myself and Nick, uh, five-ish years ago. And I remember seeing this in the theater. And this was before I would say I became a real hardcore film buff. Yeah. Because like, I just started going at it. Yeah. yeah. I don't consider myself a cinephile. Um, and I don't spend... Really? I don't spend the kind of time watching true films that, that you do, Nick. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I watch 160 films a year, so that's a pretty big number. Yeah, but, that's uh, so, pretty but substantial. At the same, and I obviously appreciate many different uh, oh, yeah. genres of film and, and everything. But, in, I mean, this was really when I started really getting deeper into films. So, for me, this was a movie that was a little bit outside of something I would definitely go see. Um, and yet, we went to go see it, and I remember loving this, and I still do. I think this is an absolutely fantastic film, mostly because this is a film that somehow snuck out into the mainstream that definitely, I feel like, doesn't belong there. And this is a film that really, um, 
to its core, does never never pulls any punches, no matter which character you're talking about. I mean, this is a film that has very loud and stereotypical characters, um, which is one of my favorite parts of the film. But at the end of the day, it, it never deviates from what those characters are, which I find fascinating throughout this entire film. Mm. And two, the plot of this story is extraordinarily interesting to me because I feel like at every turn, because um, I think there's like three or four major roundabouts in this film, um, your impressions of what the film was previously completely gets turned on itself. Uh, and that actually made for a very entertaining evening tonight because looking at all of Toussaint's reactions about fuck this guy, fucking kill him. And then you, you know, come to find out that, Oh, this is just a kid who's poisoned and has just been living a horrible life for the last 20 years. And now he's being tortured by this terrible man. Look what he did to that dog. (laughs) If you now, wait a minute. Now Nick has, Nick has pretty strong feelings about that particular scene. I do because I talked to an idiot. (laughs) Uh, when I was at college at a good old Aurora University, I had a conversation with a person who had seen this movie the week just like I had. So, of course, I was talking, and he said that he did not like this movie. And I said, oh, okay, why? You know, like, I'm okay with that. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, well, the scene with the dog went too far. And then I even accepted that, and I said, oh, like, that's just... Yeah, that was pretty rough, you know, whatever. <laughs> I know. I, um, but, and he was like, well, yeah, I just don't think they should have done that to the dog. And then I was like. Wait a minute. You think okay. they actually did that? So then I'm they, like, okay, They did cinema verite to the fucking dog? Like, well, here's how movies work. I said, so you know that they. Peter would have shut that shit down in half a minute. Uh, I'm like, well, that wasn't real. And he was like, well, I mean, it. it you know, it, it was real. And then I'm like, well, no, I mean, it literally wasn't real. So I mean, are you upset with the fact that they depicted it? And he's like, well, no, they just shouldn't do that to dogs. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just walked away because I'm like, yeah. you're, you're an idiot. And that's how I met Toussaint. Fuck you. That is not what happened. <laughs> Fuck you. We've never had that conversation before. This is the first time watching it. So the scene with the dog is very interesting because I actually, in a rare moment of these kind of scenes, I actually have the exact same reading as Nick, where the scene with the dog, Paul Dano's character of Alex, whose name is Alex Jones, by the way, which <laughs> yeah. is amazing in this current climate, <laughs> um, he really has no other idea how to shut the dog up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's how a person of a certain uh, brain chemistry would impulsively. So, uh, so but we didn't know. I, no, I know. Ah, see, that's that's the kicker. That's yeah. And, and I love what, that that that's the thing too. Hmm? You know, like he's uh, Hugh Jackman stalking his prey, so to speak, looking for a sign, and of course that happens and. Not to say, but that, but you know, you see a grown man. Look, quote, if you unquote, see a, if you see a grown man do that to a dog, you think that person is a fucking sociopath. You, you do, but yeah, I mean, so, but yeah, but at the same, oh, I don't feel like I'm in the wrong for my reaction, but no, I, no, under, no, no, no. I, mean, I understand I mean, you why you were reacting to a movie and its narrative. Yeah. Right, the person I talked to, yeah. didn't understand how reality works. Well, the person you talked to also had seen the entire film and still felt the same way. Yeah, so. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I really love this film. I think that there are actual really great acting performances. Uh, other than Jake Gyllenhaal, who I actually think isn't very good in this, 
He has this really weird blinking thing throughout the film. I think he's yeah. giving one of his worst performances in the last 12 years or I so think in this he film. Just, I'd agree with that. He just didn't properly put in his contacts and you know, uh, just... For 45 days of shooting? Hey, he <laughs> is a method actor, man. Okay. He just, just kept at it. Um, I think he gave a very simple performance to a somewhat complex character, in my personal no, opinion. I, I would definitely say that, for me at least, he's my least favorite part of this movie. Oh, yeah. interesting. I'm in the same boat. I uh, think it's good casting. Like, I love Jake Gyllenhaal, so that's mm-hmm. why I'm even more perplexed. But, yeah. He is involved in probably the best scene of this film, which is the car, him driving after getting shot in the face for the most part, driving through the snow with yeah. the police lights and oh him not being And we know, see. like, how hard it is for him to keep his eyes open. So, like, <laughs> that scene was a chore, man. It's like, totally hard. Fuck. <laughs> but, um... He was not that great, but I thought all the other acting performance, even though Hugh Jackman is doing his usual over-the-top thing, I still thought he was perfectly cast in that role. Hugh Jackman's one of my favorite modern actors, not because of the quality of his acting, but because of the way you really can put his brand of acting in a lot of different uh, scenarios. The intensity of his acting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he can go from this and then be in something like The Greatest Showman. I was going to say, and it, it, I believe it as both. Yeah. And it's not because he's doing some kind of Daniel Day-Lewis transformation, but because he's able to run hot and cold. Yeah. Because <laughs> of the torture scene. You need to stop. <laughs> the look on Tucson's face when we see Paul Dano's just blown up face after the one of the second or third torture scenes. Kiss me, I'm Irish. <laughs> It was really fucked up. It is. It was re- it like, still like is. no, because when you see it for the first time, you're like, "Holy shit!" And then it pans to Viola Davis, and then it pans back to him, and it's still, it's somehow even more fucked up for the fact that you were able to take a beat away from it. Like, oh my god. <laughs> um, the last thing I will say for my opening thoughts is that this film I thought a lot about after we saw this, mainly because I thought this was one of the best titled films I had ever seen in my life because I feel like the idea of just simply calling this prisoners um, and the trailer that this film has makes it really easy to watch for the audience but I feel like the title of this film uh, very interestingly plays the role of the magician's assistant because this film makes the audience look in one way Uh, for the entire movie when really it's doing something else in the background. It is a very blunt title, which works to its credit. Uh, and absolutely, at the end, when you have the the very, I don't want to say triumphant ending of this film, which is just, a, a you know, the girls are found, and who knows exactly the fate of Hugh Jackman's character at the end. I mean, you assume that he gets found, but whatever. Um, you know, the idea that that there's this weird compound that's been made by these two people after their child was killed that pretty much renders people unable to be real people in i mean, it just he stopped being a person actually yeah i mean that's cuz that's what he says <laughs> about you know alex but obviously that's yeah more about him. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's yeah. I just think the title was just perfectly planted into this film, and I, I think this is just a fantastic film from start to finish that yeah. has highs and lows for sure. But at the same time, um, this is a weird film that I feel like somewhat earns its long run time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's 
I'm sure there's stuff you could cut out from it, but um, there's never a moment where I feel like, oh, this is not worth it. I mean, from start to finish, this is a film that takes you on a ride and um, takes you to quite a few different places. So I'm a huge fan of Prisoners, and I will pass along who would ever like to go next. Uh, Nick can go. Yeah, I uh, it was my first time watching it since we saw it in the mm-hmm. theater, so it's been a good five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for the most part, remembered the broad strokes as far as like who was doing what and mm-hmm. whatnot, um, but I definitely did not remember a lot of the nuances as to the investigation and whatnot, and um, I gotta say, I find it very enjoyable. Uh like Alex said, for me at least, uh, the performances are what make this movie apart from Jake Gyllenhaal. And even him, even if he's the low point, like I always find Jake Gyllenhaal fascinating as an actor. So it's got that going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my main draw of this movie besides Roger Deakins' uh, cinematography. Which is I just mean, fantastic throughout. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think for me at least, the story of the missing children and the parents is never not compelling in this film and the story of the investigation for me is a little where it gets a little lopsided uh i don't pretty much love all of uh jake Gyllenhaal's scenes uh as far as the tangents it goes off on which it's never not that i don't find any of it essential to the story because part of it is going down dead ends and misconnections and Mm -hmm. whatnot um but i think what mostly kind of got under my skin a little bit in the second viewing now that i was able to know already what was going to happen and just kind of watching it was that I never quite bought into what Jake Gyllenhaal's character is supposed to be. Like like who he is? Yeah, like is he undone by this case? And if so, why? Like I never – not that I needed like some kind of weird flashback to explain like why – like like he had his sibling, you know, whatever. But I don't ever – I mean there's clearly something going on with him, right? I'm not saying there's not. Oh. But for me, it – it never. It felt a little disingenuous in the sense that I felt like he was only acting the way he was acting, and I say that as far as the way his character was written, not necessarily Jake Gyllenhaal, but his character only goes on the arc it does, so that way there is a parallel to Hugh Jackman's mm-hmm. character, and otherwise it would feel even more lopsided. Like mm-hmm. it would just be this extremely tepid. Uh, hey, did you uh, get that paperwork? Uh, <laughs> you know, like I mean, it, there's these uh, very obvious artifacts that are scattered um, with regards to his character, you know, like his tattoos on his knuckles and on his neck, uh, the Freemason ring that's on one hand. Yeah. That's a the, weird, the mention, yeah. the mention about when he was uh, interrogating the priest, he was talking about how he went to the boys' yeah. Uh, house, boys and, yeah, and how he would have just loved to just like kick his ass because of that. And it's like, yeah, there's all these <clears throat> different points on the map, and even the whole like blinking thing. It was like you have to imagine that this guy has had some very tumultuous past that has brought him to this point. Absolutely, and and, and trying... but the film's not about him, right? It's not about him, and which it's... is why it feels slightly like off. why are those peppered there there in, in the first place yeah. then. Because when I first see him in the first scene, I think that guy kind of looks like the kind of guy who would kidnap children. And I was told yeah, this direct on my but, part. You know, and I think that's A is interesting because the way we're introduced to him is from the behind. Yeah. Uh, we don't get to see his face right. until that scene is a good two minutes in or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I could totally understand why any new viewer, considering what it cut from, right. would think that we are now approaching, you know, uh, crazy territory. Even his conversation with the waitress is very yeah. That was very Nightcrawler-esque. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I know I'm totally with you. And it's not so much that I dislike these weird, like what you were saying, artifacts of his past. It's just so much that because he is a slightly secondary character to Hugh Jackman's uh pivotal protagonist so to speak um it never felt quite as earned as it was simply by just being there mm. um and so i th- that's a long-winded way of saying that i i pretty much enjoy this movie sure. and i i enjoy the performances and i enjoy even some of jake gyllenhaal's scenes um i just feel like it stretches a tiny bit too far to try to draw that parallel and earn that title of prisoners because technically the movie earns that title without having to work too hard besides the Correct. Jake Gyllenhaal yeah, character. Sure. So that's why I just feel I mean, like that's... I mean, you, you could just know... I mean, this film is advertising exactly what it is. Like, mm-hmm. if you saw the trailer, you would know exactly where you're getting into. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, and so it the whole Paul Dano versus Hugh Jackman thing works beautifully. Um, and I and <laughs> the thought of a versus between those two characters is just having, having watched the movie. I'm just like, man, this is fucked up. Yeah. Paul Dano is just perfectly cast in yeah. that role. Can and this? What's great? Can this angry father, this angry, angry biblically infused father, take on this mentally challenged boy? <laughs> so what's great about that central story, though, uh, the duology between the two, is yeah. that it takes a very bleak scenario to basically force your viewers to watch two characters in such an uh, excruciating situation where neither one of them truly know why they're in that situation. Yeah. And that's fucked up. Uh, So that's why I always feel like the Jake Gyllenhaal stuff is good, but just doesn't come close to what that is doing. Yeah, The the viewing this a repeat for me... Uh, all of the torture scenes are extraordinarily uncomfortable. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, and that line of dialogue towards the end of the film where Melissa Lito stops when she's about to kick him into the hole. She's like, I just want you to know that he never touched those children. And it's like, Ooh. you just made it so much worse. <laughs> yeah, really? You did. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. So I'll pass it off to Saad by summarizing by saying I I really pretty much I think this movie is pretty great Um, Mm -hmm. it's never gonna sit with me in the sense that I love it because I Mm -hmm. do think it is a little too long sure Um, but any scene I'm in I'm not really watching that scene and going well this doesn't need to be here because that's how well it's edited from and that's actually one other thing I'll say this movie besides being shot well is uh, extremely well edited I have never not never but I have it's so rare to see a movie like this in which the editing is so wonderfully conscious about the viewer's own thoughts about where this narrative is going mm-hmm. that it essentially skips exposition and it surreally bounces from moment to moment knowing that we don't need the moments in between and how the audio will always usually linger for about two seconds after the scene you're watching Mm -hmm. into the next scene in which you have to basically get your bearings 
despite the fact that you were just told in the previous scene why you would even be going there, and it's kind of a long-winded way of saying that I just think this movie is wonderfully edited in how it jumps from shot to shot because of the fact that it does not take the average crime procedural route. Yeah, interestingly enough, this film was edited by Joel Cox and Gary Roach. Uh, if you don't know who they are, don't that's remember. fine. But they are uh, the two guys who pretty much have edited every Clint Eastwood movie ever. Oh, this that's is the inter- o- This is the only time that Denny Villeneuve has ever worked with them. Interesting. So, they should work. He should work with them again. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, this has probably been my, to what I can recall, this has been the fourth uh, Denny Villeneuve film that I've seen. I've seen Sicario. I've seen uh, Arrival. I've seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I've seen this. Um, and it's hard for me looking back on all those viewings, like I retain and remember those, those viewing experiences, but it's hard for me to really pinpoint a distinct through line, a stylistic through line that I would define Denis Villeneuve by other than maybe by like good cinematography. And then I can't really like, I'm not really sure if I can attribute that to him or more to his collaborators in this sense, but sort of tangentializing away from that i did enjoy this film i've never seen it before um i think that the point when i was really on board with the film like i already really was enjoying it from the jump but when i was really on board with the film was after he choked the puppy after jake gyllenhaal discovers the body in the basement and is interrogating the guy and then it cuts back to um hugh jackman's character and terrence howard's character like searching through the woods with the police looking for the um, So the, the interesting part about that is that um, I, the first time when, when I w- thought back to that scene, was curious about if the priest had interrogated him or mm-hmm. if he just tied yeah. him up in the bomb. Yeah. Because the body is left in a very weird position. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is a, you know, you're my prisoner. Uh-oh. Ah, uh, son of a bitch. But seriously, though, that is a... He's got tape over his yeah, mouth. Yeah, that's not just someone who chair. just happened to not have enough resources around. Yeah. <laughs> With no is. fucking stairs. Yep. And now, wait. So the that's person in that up. So the person in that basement is... Her husband. Her husband, right? Her yeah. husband, okay. who... Yeah. She's she got the she, medallion or whatever. Yeah, the, the, the labyrinth medallion mm-hmm. that was then replicated by... Uh, well, the one guy who killed himself. And it's in the photo at the end when yeah. he finds it. Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal puts it all together, which, yeah. of course, happens with the police officer yeah. at the, the very end. The story that she gave originally was that, um, like, five years prior or something like that, that he walked out on her yeah. and that was never seen again. Which actually may be true, which is kind right. of fucked which, up. Which is... Right, like, that's where I also kind of give this film credit because even if she's possibly the most evil person in the entire movie – she may also be a victim of this fucked up cycle of and to, violence. It seems like their son probably actually did die, which set them off onto this self-destructive, just right. terrible pattern. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, yeah. I mean... I, it doesn't I don't excuse know. it. No, it doesn't, but yeah, yeah. a lot of her dialogue, I don't necessarily know if she's just verbatim lying. Right, so yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, who's the prisoner here? God damn Lord, it. Lord, Lay off it! Anyway. He won't. Um... Yeah, really he, encouraging him. Hugh Jackman was great in this film. I think that he really does bring a an appropriate intensity to the role of like that's actually a good description. <laughs> yeah, the inten- because... the appropriate intensity. Yeah. Wait. Oh, you said inappropriate. Inappropriate. Intensity. I thought you meant inappropriate, like all one word. Yeah. Sure. 
Because for me, some of his outbursts are so like they would be comical if they were in a different movie. Yeah, like when he's just yelling, you know, find my fucking daughter. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some anyway. of it, some of it's a little off. I feel like it works. It works. There's one scene that's really odd. I think the one scene we was talking with Jake Gyllenhaal feels a little bizarre. The scene when he's screaming at Paul Dano and he's hammering the sink with the hammer. Man, that was a great that was That's a, a great misdirect. Yeah. I thought he was gonna break that boy's hand. And Paul or Dano's his character probably did too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was fucking nuts. Yeah. Uh and Terrence Howard does not know how to not cry. Can we just say Terrence Howard's not a good actor? No, he's not. He's even he's not even a fucking good person. Okay. Um <laughs> But yeah. He's not a good actor. Anyway, um, I enjoyed uh, Hugh Jackman in this. I actually did enjoy Paul Dano with what he gave in that role. It's just like, man, it's like he's just this terrified, terrified, weird kid that I just don't know whether he knows something or not. And that's the most damning part of it all. And then when you learn the truth, you're like, oh, my God. I really do hope Paul Dano finds a way to get past his... Is well, he's already kind of because he, he is, directed but, a movie, but which got really good reviews. Yeah, actually, from Sundance. Yeah, yeah, he has a lot of talent. I yeah. mean, with things from this to Little Miss Sunshine yeah. to Swiss Army Man to mm. There Will Be Blood. I mean, he's. It's unfortunate yeah. that people watch Little Miss Sunshine, which I think is a good movie. Mm. Um, and I remember the force that that movie was when that came out. Like that was the first time I think a lot of people were actually saying the word Sundance out loud and, and were cognizant of what it's of what a movie of that stature where it broke through from just yeah, like the and, whole cinephile can do. Like, yeah. subculture into this I know that's kind of where I started like like and that movie came out when I was like 13, 14 yeah, yeah but that's that's it's it's definitely a rarity because yeah. there are not a lot of I mean that whiplash yeah, uh, um, and there's not, but not a lot of Whiplash. I don't think would have broken out had something like Little Miss Sunshine had not. Could I mean, be true. Yeah. that little girl Abigail Breslin was nominated for an Oscar. Like that's a huge like <laughs> from starting here to going there. Yeah. Um, but it's, what I was gonna say is it's unfortunate that so many people watch Little Miss Sunshine and watch the scene in which Paul Dano's character finds out that he's colorblind and can't uh, be a fighter pilot, mm-hmm. uh, and has that screaming intensity scene which is one of the best scenes in that entire movie and thought yes this is the only thing this man can do and then he's done in every film he's been right and it's not like he's obviously he's not bad at it but like you know he can do something else i mean this is a little bit a little bit of a segue but uh his conversation with um, Steve Carell when they're on the bridge towards the end of the film. Yeah. That's just great. I know. I, I agree. Yeah. And I feel like only Paul Thomas Anderson has gotten both sides of that coin where he certainly casted him for his uh, <laughs> bravado, so to speak. But also uh, some of those early scenes are just wonderfully quiet. Oh, he is perfectly cast as a unsuspecting priest. Yeah. And that, <laughs> and also as the brother too, where he, <laughs> So anyway, that's a that's a really fucked up part of that film, though, it's because great. you know what? I'm going to call bullshit a little bit on it because they're they're I mean, according to the script, because I've read up on this because I'm interested because I love there will be blood. Yeah. But they were always supposed to be separate. And then they just lost the guy who was supposed to play his brother. So he just played both. Yeah. But Daniel Day Lewis looks at his son and like is like, wait a minute. Yeah. And so no, that's that movie. Thing. 
at least subtly suggests that this weird double casting is somehow in universe too, <laughs> and and that's what I love about it. But anyway, I do too. But it seems like that's all. I know the first all- time I watched it, I paused it, went to Wikipedia just to see <laughs> if what I was watching was like. Because I didn't care if I got a spoil, but I needed to know, like, wait, did this person... Is this supposed to be on purpose? Like, did he yeah. kill his brother and then yeah. put on the suit? But anyway. But I feel like that is one of the rare times that Paul Thomas Anderson is winking at the audience. Oh, yeah. For sure. So. And, uh, yeah. Back are, to those Prisoners. Are, those, are my, uh, <laughs> those are my opening thoughts. I, those are great opening thoughts. Yeah, so. thanks, We guys. thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let me know you guys... Uh, what no, do you think I, about Mazes? What do I think about Mazes? Yeah. Um, the maze is not meant for you. Can I say one of my, uh, one of the parts of this film that I think is one of the dumbest parts of this movie? Yeah, the mazes. Um. Wait, what'd you say? He said the mazes. Oh, he said. I mean, the mazes kind of makes sense. Uh, everything with the snakes I thought was the dumbest thing ever. Oh, I agree. (laughs) And I love when he shouts, or when he, uh, reacts very scaredly to the second snake. Yeah. First snake, I get, man. You don't expect a snake <laughs> to be in there. And even if you're not afraid of snake, you'll still get fucking freaked out because you don't, whatever. But you open up that second one. It's a snake again. You you really should be prepared at that it's point. It's still fucking scary. I mean, if it was a, dra- ah. if it was a draft's head, sure. Well, but it's, it's another snake. Or if the snake like popped out, sure. I mean, that's a... That's a uh, yeah, it hissed at him. Yeah, fucking Lord Voldemort just topped out of there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, it didn't hiss I mean, at him. The problem is, <laughs> damn it, God. with that scene particularly, is the first viewing, when he walks into the room and sees all of the chests basically there... I get it. Like, that's a great setup for that scene. Right, right, right. But every time after the first well, time, yeah. it's just like, wait a minute. What the fuck's going on right. here? Right. just locked <laughs> up these snakes. <laughs> and pieces of clothes and pig's blood. Yeah. It really makes no sense to the entire story. I mean, if he had, like, buried it. Or just something that was at least Which there are slightly buried practical. snakes in other parts of the film, but yeah. this is I I just think this was a silly segue that no, was I, made. That I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched this movie, I thought that that scene was slightly it was indicative of a movie that didn't end up coming true, which is totally fine. But I thought that that meant that we were in for a slightly more surreal experience, like we weren't supposed to be taking this at. Uh, face value, not because yeah. it wasn't happening, but because we were entering a weird world in which it feels more si- like yeah, symbolically tab- dense. Yeah, like, like where it's more of a tableau esque depiction right. of crazy and whatnot, right. like almost like Silence of the Lambs type thing. Mm. Uh, but really, after that scene, it doesn't really ever do anything like that again. So it, it just never makes comes it, back. <laughs> it really, just, really just after that weird. character suicide, all of that stuff just completely is washed yeah. away. Boy, what a great scene that is, though. The I, oh, yeah. But the one scene uh, when the girl is in the hospital bed, and then it cuts away to the book of mazes, and then the kids in the actual room, and the jugs of that black liquid, and you don't really put all that together until like the very end, but mm-hmm. you know that the, that's some really sinister shit. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that since we're, since we're on the topic. Um, the idea of this liquid and having this weird scientific power to almost destroy people's brains—it's ketamine and LSD or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. But at the same time, like we are to believe, right, that Paul Dano's character was a normal child at some point. At some point, and now he's he's just been 
that is the product of that. Right, but yeah. well, between that and being held captive for the right. last, I, I said twenty plus years. I, I said later on in the film, like I think it was like towards like the last scene. I was like, how many times do you think they had to beat that kid before he signed his name, Alex? Yeah, like, I mean, the way he speaks is like seriously like a, a battered woman. Mm-hmm. Like it is very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and boy, his look too. I mean. The idea, like, he's wearing this weird, like, scarf thing around his neck, and he's got those big Harry Carey glasses on, too. Aww. Like, it's... <laughs> And the fact that she allows him to have that, that camper and, and then to drive around and sleep in it. And Boy, do... she feels pretty comfortable with him. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too, about that RV, which I think is interesting. It, you're touching on the fact, which I agree, the fact that she allows him to have that is really creepy because I think... It's like this go big or go home type thing. Like, she wouldn't let him have a car or just something that is practical. But something like that, which when children approach it, they stay away from it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, as we, I mean, obviously not always, but, um, or they get entranced by it. Like, it's this weird, creepy bait that she's not even having to set herself. Yeah. And, and that's what's weird. How about the RV being in the uh, in the background of the photo of them at the end? Too, that's Man. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, something that fucked with me uh, the first time I saw this, and then I thought about it probably the day or two afterwards, is the idea that uh, both Jake Gyllenhaal's character and Keller Dober uh, routinely go over to the house, and the children are under the car the entire time yeah <laughs> including the moment in which he's looking at the car and, yeah uh, and, she, br- and Joan, she brings his attention to it too Joan basically offers to sell it to him not yep. i'm not saying it's a genuine offer but that whole like oh no i don't need it and then close the door <laughs> but the, it's a very interesting psychological thing where she draws attention to it to make him not interested in it yeah. oh man so here one more thing though really quick so are we to believe that Underneath the car is, I mean, well, I mean, we know, is that hole in the ground, so to speak. Yep. So she keeps the children there when she has company, but then she brings the children into the house. Yeah, I mean, no, she it, decided to bring them back into the house when um, when Alex disappears. It's a little bit unclear, I will okay. say. I can uh, kind of see what Tucson's saying. Like, the normal routine is to keep them hostage. Mm-hmm. In general, as far as, like, put them down there, do whatever. Mm -hmm. But then because one of, like, you know, because her thing was taken, then she get a little, she gets a little careless or, I don't know, megalomaniacal. Right. Um, What do I want to say? Megalomaniacal. Yeah, something like that. Um, And just kind of have them there. Yeah. She decided to just bring them in the house because she was... She, I don't think she was grooming them to be a, a sort of surrogate for Alex when he disappeared, but more of like she likes having someone in the house. Yeah, it's more of just a subconscious displacement. Like, right, right. This isn't here, so I have to put something there. Right, right. Um, but I'm also with you as far as I'm not quite buying it because does she then put them back in the hole? Yeah. Well, when, I mean, when... I mean, first of all, she's all over the place. Right. Because, A, she's got the guy who's been in numerous films, and he's definitely a character actor, but he was in The Dark Knight. Yeah, Bird Knows. This. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the guy who committed suicide. I mean, he's off on his own, and he clearly was involved in this group at some point. I don't yeah. know how 
how he escaped and how he ended up in the place. I don't know if he did escape or if she let him go. go, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's another fucked up part of the movie. Okay, wait. Who's the figure that is chasing the girls into the traffic? Is that her? It's not her. Okay, so it's him. I don't think so. It has to be him. I don't know. It's not either of them. Why do you say it's not her? Because you see the face of who it is, and it's... Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, it's I definitely can, not only, Melissa Leo. Whatever reason, whatever I think of that scene, I can only see the jacket itself. It is, it is weirdly... I will say, this is something that I will definitely say in this film's favor, is this film goes just slightly enough to make you positive of something, but not positive completely of your opinion on it. And I say that because of the scene that you reference when you're watching the film, which is when Paul Dano pretty much mutters something to Hugh Jackman's character, and we all had a different reading on it, right. which I think is, from what you were saying, Nick, yeah. I completely agree, I think is, actually... is pretty much perfectly done by the filmmakers that everyone will have a different opinion on it, yeah. which is great. But I think he actually did Which say is fine. Yeah. Yeah. He could have. Just to illustrate for the listening audience mm-hmm. when the scene in which uh, Hugh Jackman uh, basically attacks Paul Dano's character in the uh, police parking lot and he then reports they later cried when I left them that he says that that Paul Dano's character says that phrase to him so all three of us so Toussaint after Hugh Jackman said that said that he heard that exact phrase mm-hmm. Alex said that he basically you heard muttering, but you didn't think it may have been that exact, you know, sentence. Yeah. Whereas for some reason, when I watched that scene, I didn't hear anything, and I just saw him smile. And I think that's a really creepy, uh, just after effect. Where I think that's another uh, merit of its editing and the way that it can mash these shots together. And what's really fucked up about it is that he probably did actually say that, and he probably meant it because. Uh, We find out late in the film that they were all being in the same area, whether it was in the hole or in the room together. And you were there. And he was there, and And they didn't start crying until he left. Oh, man. I was going to say, he may have actually been a good uh, presence for them because he was just like them. Yeah. Uh, How about the idea, too, that, that they're given a book of mazes, a maze that is unsolvable, and it. With a note that says you can go home if you complete this maze. That is so fucked up. Yeah. That is like, that is like, that is like brain torture. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, because even that's, that is especially cruel in this situation because the whole impetus for why they are doing this is because their child, their child was Oh, was taken... no, their motive is stupid. Their mo- I, I will their, say that's another their, part their of this mo- film that's kind of dumb. Their motive is that they used to be devout in their faith and that losing their child to cancer is what... No, I'm, I'm, I'm just pacing this out, okay? It's like, I uh, hear you, yeah, but the, still... Yeah. Like, losing their child to cancer is what caused them to have a crisis of faith that was so severe that they decided to, quote-unquote, wage a war against God by abducting children... <sighs> In order to make the parents who had lost their children lose their faith in that way, so basically, to spread co- cope, coping through their own loss by transfer transferring their own like grief and despair and anger onto others by taking their children away from them so inexplicably in the same way. But it doesn't make any fucking sense to torture the children. Right, the Further children. After, like, what the, the fuck? The children yeah. are literally not like that's where it 
their ideology falls apart. Yeah. Because it would be really, and this would be a completely different movie. So I'm not saying the movie should do this, but like if we just take their ideology to an actual evolution, right? What really it should be, it should be like a Ten Cloverfield like situation where, um, where they're keeping them they almost ab- like a cult. Almost? Yeah, like they oh, abduct okay. them and hide them away, but like those kids are quote unquote taken care of, and mm. you try to you know just say, oh, you can't go out there, like that whole, you know, room-esque situation. Too much work. Because that would be delivering upon the parents the pain that they wish to deliver, but, you know, it, it would make sense because they, they, why do they hate children so much? How about the, um, and I need to go back to watch to make exactly sure of this, but I feel like when Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and I love this part of it too, goes to visit the woman who is actually the mother of Alex Jones's character. She's watching everything about the case on television and saying how horrible everything about it is. And she's like, well, it's probably going to go unsolved. He's never coming home. And it's like, God, that's fucked up. And she's basically yeah. watching that this kid was taken to jail for something he didn't do. And right. that, oh. yeah. yeah, but to, even that, though, is that as bad as like Hugh Jackman and, and what he does? Like, I no, it's no, not, but, but that's what but I mean. It, like, it's, it's, just, it's an uncomfortable yeah. sense of morality where we look at something that's fucked up, and yet this whole movie has a, I don't know, collapsing in and of its Hugh, on itself of yeah of sense of morality. Hugh Jackman fucking recreated Abu Ghraib in a in a, an abandoned apartment complex, which is just the most fucked up thing. Holy shit! That that scene with the water. Um, and the steam coming out the hole. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about that scene, because I like the way it's shot and acted. <laughs> what? <laughs> I really like torture. It's... I do. But um, <laughs> is that I thought it was a little on the nose for Velnube to play Katy Perry's Hot and Cold while he's switching <laughs> the you. dials. God damn No, I'm just saying, like, it's just every time he's in, he's like, you're hot, then you're cold. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, like, do aim a little higher, Dennis. Yeah, <laughs> aim a little higher, Dennis. Dennis. Well, before we go into final ratings, yeah, uh, I want to get everyone's thoughts on the very ending of this film because we talked about yeah. the, the the kind of climactic scene with Jake Gyllenhaal driving his car with the very foggy, snowy, amazingly shot, um, really quick, yeah, go just ahead. on that scene. Mm-hmm. I got to say, for a movie that's so rife with like tension, violence, whatever. That's the only scene in the entire movie that makes me like cringe in my seat every time he might hit a car because I'm just like, oh, this might all be for nothing. <laughs> and, and, and like, seriously, though, like that is like maybe because it's just such a realistic thing Could as be. far as like car crashes yeah, happen all the time. Sure. Uh, I'm like, if this ends because of the, whatever. Anyway, uh, but I can stomach people getting tortured, but I cannot see reckless driving in a wintry land. Just the way that that is shot. And this is really random, but I'm going to bring up the film that myself and Nick just went and saw, which is called Upgrade, which <laughs> if you out there are interested in seeing, you probably should, because yeah. not that it's great, it's but fun. it's fun. Um, that film has one of the dumbest and worst car chase scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> which one was that? Yes! I've already forgotten it. Yeah. Uh, it's this chase scene between the lady cop and him. When oh, he's, yes, yes. Like, that is like, we didn't have any money, so we're just going to show these cars changing yeah. lanes multiple times ooh, fast. <laughs> yep. That is a good old uh, L.A. traffic car chase. Sure. Yep. Um, however, 
getting away from that and back to this, um, that was just wonderful at the yeah. end of this film, Prisoners, because the snow and the the way it was shot and the 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 blurring effect. Oh man, it it's great. uncomfortable that the most beautiful sequence in this entire movie is also the one in which, like, maybe the entire movie could go to shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so the very final moment of this film is left a little bit kind of on a you know. Maybe. I think it's. I like it. Very ambiguous. I, like I, I think I, some people would watch it and go, "Well, there's no question he hears the whistle." No, but I don't think that's a. I don't think that's what's being exactly depicted. I mm-hmm. personally think that I wish the film was a little more not clear, but I wish the film showed him like getting back in his car or something like that to not say that he's for sure leaving, but not exactly sure of himself. I think it makes it a little too clear that he probably knows what's happening. Mm. But at the same time, um, it is not abundantly clear. And he never goes down by the car or whatever. He just kind of looks around. But uh, the way the entire thing happens is just honestly just pretty wonderful. And Mm. I wish it was a little more ambiguous, actually, than it is. But um, I personally love the idea of him just getting left there to die in the whole... Yeah, um, I mean, I I enjoy hanging endings in that that way because it just leaves it up to the audience to sort of infer as to what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Naturally, as as somebody who's watching that, who's invested in Hugh Jackman's arc and Jake Gyllenhaal's arc through this film, like you want him to have heard that. He has to have heard that, but it's do you though? Because he's going to go to prison, but right. he gets out of there, but he's not going to die. He's not going to die in a fucking hole. Anyway, um, uh, you want him to have... Plus, by the end of it, really quick, Yeah. Do we? are we completely sure that if... And I'm just asking, I'm not actually saying this like because I think it's right. one way or the right. other. Are we completely sure that if Jake Gyllenhaal found him, let's say he was by himself... Would he... That he would follow up on... Cause I feel like the whole movie shows him following proper procedure, so mm-hmm. to speak, and seeing how the situation gets infinitely more fucked up, mm-hmm. the more that that continues. Yeah. What if Jake Gyllenhaal found him and left him? That would be... <laughs> that would be very... Oh, yes. I'm weird. I'm of the camp that this move, this ending is actually incredibly ambiguous. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a testament yeah. to the scene itself because you don't think it is, and yet I think it is. Because I think that the idea that he hears the sound of the whistle does not tell us anything Mm -hmm. as far as what could possibly happen next. Not because of the fact that he, like, okay, as an audience member, I don't think that him cocking his head at the reaction of hearing the whistle is indicative of him. Acknowledging it. Yes. I think there is, it's the same, okay, maybe because I have hearing problems in general. So I'm kind of used to this weird sensation where I think I might be hearing something, but I also think I could be making it up. And I feel like that's what's happening here. Whereas like after this entirely fucked up case, at the end of the day, he's less uh, ready to just trust his killer instinct. Right. And that creeps him out in a way. Um, And so that's why I think the ending for me, it's like, even if he hears that noise, he does not trust that he hears that noise. I've I've been in situations where 
maybe I'd be like at a fair and it's pretty loud and I hear somebody distinctly say my name who is not in the group that that I'm with. Like my name is not a common name. So I obviously like turn around. I'm like, who the fuck said that? And I'm just like, just talking about Arizona, man. No, fuck you. Anyway, I'm just looking around and I'm just like. Who said that? Like you, you see me, don't you? It's like, yeah. like, give me a sign as to what you're doing. Is like, and I don't see him. I'm just like, what the fuck? Did I really hear that? Okay, no. yeah. you're crazy. Fuck you. <laughs> By no. the way, did you know in the new Ocean's Eight movie, the thing that they're stealing is called the Toussaint? For real? Yep. Like whatever the diamond huh. necklace or something. I because I read like a it's French. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know, but it's called the. It's, it's not called like the Tucson. great. It's not like the great Muppet Caper where they're stealing the baseball diamond. Yeah, I don't know, but anyway, little fun fact Sorry. for you. I just had to go there. I don't think I've seen that in like maybe twenty years. That era of the Muppets is very entertaining to me. Oh, and I I would rewatch that movie. I wow, just we haven't gotta, seen that particular. We one. gotta rewatch it, and then we gotta watch the new movie. No, we don't. Yeah, we do. I don't know. I do love that a judge just took that lawsuit and just threw it out. <laughs> yeah, just dunked on it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. In all honesty, it's yeah. probably fine. So, final ratings, I think. Because this, this film, we've hit on a lot of the major points, but I don't think there's that much to dig too deep into. I think part of its... I don't know. Uh, it, part of its charm is mm-hmm. that it lets its actors... <laughs> go above and beyond in conveying uh, the emotions and the uh, just the narrative in general. We, we get to see Hugh Jackman yell for a lot of, oh, yeah. of his screen time. and Lots of throwing his arms and yeah. screaming and drinking yep. and all that. We get to see Jake Gyllenhaal blink his way out of uh, confusion. It is a character <laughs> trait. <laughs> oh my god. Like seriously, yeah. he's creating so many tears throughout this film. Yep. It is something. So uh, I give this a four and a half out of five. Uh, it is one of my favorite films from 2013. And I feel like this film just does so many things that make me happy as a film viewer, even though this is a very depressing film. Uh, this is a movie that just takes you as a viewer on this weird journey throughout uh, seeing these characters that have different motivations and honestly i think i said this earlier in the episode but a lot of the characters in this film are just like playing up their characters to the highest point of this stereotype that they're supposed to be hitting like you have keller dover who's this survivalist crazy just biblically infused angry dad christian father who is just on a mission from god um, you've got the very bizarre police officer with Jake Gyllenhaal who is playing his character as just as high on that plane as it can go. Mr. Policeman, you could have saved him. I gave you all the clues. <laughs> what a movie. Oh, man. We need to watch The Snowman. We're not going to fucking watch The Snowman. I'm going to watch it someday. Oh. I'm going to watch it someday. All right. I'm going to have some beverages first, yeah. but I'm going to watch it. Oh, yeah. yes, you should. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, all that being said, uh, this is just a very interesting movie from start to finish that has a lot of great uh, visuals throughout and a lot of great acting performances. Um, and I just have very few things that I dislike about this film. So mm. it's a four and a half out of five for me for Prisoners. And I think it was a very good introduction to uh, the United States cinema world for Denis Villeneuve. So move on to whoever wants to go next. 
You want me to go next? You can go. Okay, cool. Um, I enjoyed this film. I really did enjoy this film. Um, I think that it will probably grow on me for repeated viewings. But it's a pretty substantial, pretty long film. So... But I probably need some breathing room before I like watch it again. But I did enjoy it. Um, I'm not entirely sure I'm going to take more out of it than I did on my initial viewing. I think it, I've pretty much gotten as much as I'm going to get out of it. I just know that I would enjoy watching it again. Yeah. Um, the whole aspect, the the arc with uh, Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano's character, obviously, the, the way that you guys are describing it, it, it exactly hones into why I enjoy that aspect of the film versus like Jake Gyllenhaal's like odyssey to, to hunt down. Like a lot of that felt recycled from Zodiac, by the way. Ah, I still need, sure. Here's the thing. I need to, I need to see Zodiac. I know. Whoa. You ever never even watched it once? Nope. Alex will disagree with me here, but that is, uh, one of the greatest films of all time. I think we need to watch it sometime. Zodiac. I I will say this. Um, I think it, it, really hits home on its content Mm -hmm. um but that being said i don't think that that led to a great film Mm -hmm. personal opinion zodiac takes what you and i particularly i think don't love about this movie whether it's a kind of half-baked uh backstory for its uh investigator and its dead ends Mm -hmm. and weird red herring and it makes that the central focus of a maddening odyssey of trying to find a killer. Oh, and this is a... Bi- That's the point of that movie. Yeah, and this is a biography well, of Ted Cruz, right? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, also, I mean, I mean, the scene in the basement is one of the greatest suspense sequences of all time when Jake Gyllenhaal goes to the man's house. Sure. And he's allowed to go to the basement. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, so what's great about that film, though, is it is a, a film that... A, that is a true story, yeah. and based on a true story, and the idea of um, an unsolvable crime throughout and just the madness that ensues throughout it between the different kinds of characters um, is very interesting. But at the same time, I feel like... Uh, I feel like David Fincher's done better work. So it's a three out of five for me. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sneaking that in. <laughs> yeah. We weren't ready. <laughs> It's okay. uh, I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it, like I said, in five years. So this was the first time uh, since then. And I got to say, that was about the right length for me because I liked it just as much as I did the first time. Nice. Um, whereas if I were to watch this like six months from now, maybe a year from now, I probably would find it a bit of a slog because mm. I'm, you know, I don't love this whole package. Sure. But when a lot of the smaller moments have faded from my memory and it kind of is at least has a fresh coat of paint because I haven't seen it in a while. Okay. It really, it really does work on a scene by scene basis. And the things that do work though, regardless of whenever I've seen it, which for me is the Hugh Jackman, Paul Dano, uh, duology here, uh, are really great. Uh, and like I said, the cinematography is phenomenal. The performances across the board are pretty great. So overall, I actually think it's, uh, it's pretty good. And I think it's, one to two degrees away from being like this era's I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I true uh this era's silence of the lambs like okay. I think the silence of the lambs is like a masterpiece mm-hmm. and I don't think this Me is too. yeah and I don't think this is quite on that level no but I do think this is like what 
a Silence of the Lambs movie would look like if someone tried to make one today, but make a good movie. Yeah. I don't mean like remake it. Yeah. But I'm just saying to try to give us that same uh, grimy police procedural right. uh, in the same manner that uh, Dem gave the world uh, back in the 90s. Uh uh, but yeah. Here's a tangent. Yeah. Uh, so since we're talking about Silence of the Lambs, have you ever watched Hannibal? The show? Or yeah, the, movie? the show. Oh, the show oh, yeah. He loves the show. Yeah, yeah, the show is fantastic. I've been meaning to watch that. I know that it it, it ended before it got to have its real finale. But Not I really. I, it, but it had I, its real finale. But I really want to like – I've been meaning to watch it because I've seen like shots of it. And I was like, oh, wow, this yeah. looks like it's a It's a really very good show. Yeah. I'm not quite on a level as what the group is called, Fanables. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, that's where Hoovians some people and, and some people think the show got better every season. Whereas I personally thought that the show got more indulgent every uh-huh. season, and th- that's to say I liked every season, but I wasn't quite on board with its indulgence. But I say that as someone who also looks at something like The Leftovers, and that's a show that gets more indulgent every season. Yeah, also had only three seasons. Yeah, uh, and I like that more. So obviously, if you're on a specific wavelength, it's great throughout. But even if you're not, and you just appreciate good TV, uh, I'd be down it's to explore great throughout. that. Hannibal, um, I've never watched an episode, but it has one of the great television posters of all time, which is just the the like bottom of Mads Mikkelsen's face and him holding the handkerchief, yeah. clearing his face off with yeah. blood. That's pretty much. And if you like that poster, that's what that show is. Yeah. Like it is literally good, but still, but good, good, good exposition, crime procedural, and then in between all of that are just the most gorgeous shots of cannibalism. <laughs> like, and, and it sounds crazy, but that's actually why you watch the show. And mm-hmm. I feel a little bit bad because I feel like Mads Mikkelsen has just went off on these really just throwaway characters, major yeah. roles. Don't worry, that... he'll be in a video game soon. Really? He already yeah. pretty much has been with the silly roles he's been yeah. in Star yeah. Wars and in Doctor uh, Strange. Doctor Strange, yeah. yeah. What is he going to be in a video game? He's going to be in Death Stranding. But I mean, I've, I'll explain again, what that is later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen an episode, but I, I've heard from multiple people, including you, that he's great. As, oh, he's uh, Hannibal. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing that doesn't that does get better and better every season. That, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I give Prisoners three and a half mm. out of five stars. Nice. Very much enjoy it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you still enjoyed it as much as you originally did. Me too. It makes me happy, mm. even though this is a very depressing and. I know. God damn it. If you have any thoughts out there uh, on prisoners, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And Just if whistle. you know who the prisoner is, <laughs> please let us know. We need the information. Yeah. Information. So, on our next episode, our friend Sam going to join us again. Hey. She's not here right now, but she will join us on the episode. <laughs> Which is what I said. That, yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. That's not what I said. <laughs> no. Yes, treat them like dairy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I never got to make my joke. <laughs> really quick, I just want to say, I don't think that there's a better scene in cinema to watch during the Me Too movement than the final scene of this movie in which a man who is buried alive is trying to get help by blowing the rape whistle he hopes that another man will hear. Yeah. Pretty much. That's uh That's all I gotta say. 
that ought to be your letterbox review for this for this rewatch. If only Jake Gyllenhaal was played by Harvey Weinstein in this film, it would have just been yeah. perfect. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Or if the film would have. Hey, that's come... already going to be made into a movie. Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. Really? And he's calling it Predator, so I don't know if that's copyrighted or. <laughs> Literally, it's. Or if this film was done by the Weinstein Company, and exactly after that scene ended, <laughs> it cut to produced by uh, the Weinsteins. There, oh my god! There is no Weinstein Company anymore. At the time that this film yeah, came out, yeah, yeah, yeah. In reality, there was. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Sam will be joining us on our next episode, and she's been on a lot of episodes, oh, which yeah. is great because we love to have her, and she yeah. brings a lot of great insight. Mm-hmm. But the film we're going to be reviewing is a film she really wanted to see, and I know it's a film that Toussaint really wants to see. Oh yeah, and Nick. Yeah. And it's not up my alley, but I am at least interested in what it's going to be. And that is the horror film *Hereditary*, which stars Tony Collette. And Miley Shapiro, who really probably wouldn't get thought of as a top billing, but she plays the uh, the child named Charlie in this film. And also Gabriel Byrne, who has not been around in mainstream cinema for a long time. I mean, if you want to think about it, like the biggest thing people in the mainstream would probably know him from is The Usual Suspects. Um, and I think, Nick, you might... I may be wrong, but isn't he on one of the uh, seasons of In Treatment or not? Who? Gabriel Byrne. Oh, yes. He's on hmm? every season because he's he on is every... the therapist. Oh, he is? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he's in this film. Amazing in that, by the way. So yep. um, I'm interested to see him again in a role because, again, he just hasn't been around that much no. recently. No, he has not. He was so. just in a movie two years ago, which is the first time I've seen him since In Treatment, uh, which was a uh, Joaquin Trier, who's not related, even though mm. he's from the same country, uh, as to Lars von Trier, uh, uh, called Louder Than Bombs, which starred Isabel Huppert and oh. Jesse Eisenberg with, oh. with Gabriel Byrne. And mm. he was very good in that. So anyway. Okay. Well, he will be in this. Yeah, and we'll be talking about it on our next episode. And uh... It seems really scary. Okay. So... That is something to look to forward <laughs> on. He will never. That is something to look forward on our next episode. So, from Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for catching up with us here on Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. <laughs>